Now here we are, we're in chapter 10, verse 44. There's, there's only about 48 verses, 50 verses in the chapter. So we're almost to the end of the chapter. We've seen the way in which God was ministering to uh, this fellow Cornelius, speaking to his heart, a Gentile man. We've seen the way that God has been ministering to Peter's heart, a Jewish man in 30 miles away from one another, working circumstances to bring those two men together. And we come today to two aspects. One, where they come together and the results, if you will. And then what we'll do is we'll focus our time in chapter 11, looking at the ramifications of all that went down in chapter 10. And it wasn't as, uh, as rosy as you might expect that there were some problems as a result of what went on in our chapter here. And so again, the event that we're looking at is the way in which God called a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Roman Gentile, uh, a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. He was what was known as a God-fearer. He respected God. He liked the God of the Jews. He hadn't gone all the way over and gotten circumcised himself and became a Jew necessarily, but he appreciated the God of the Jews, Jehovah, particularly in comparison to the gods, the many gods that he had grown up with in the Roman society in which he was raised. And so God began to speak to this man. We might call him a good man. God began to speak to him. There's an interesting point. He was a good man in reference to others around him, and even he needed Jesus. Because no one is good enough. And God was merciful. And God began to minister to him. And God began to draw him. And he told him to go and call this fellow by the name of Peter. Now, of course, Peter, a good and devout Jew, would never go off to the home of a Gentile. He wouldn't go with them. He wouldn't eat with them. He wouldn't go into their home. He wouldn't fellowship with them. And so God had to prepare Peter's heart as well. And as we saw, he did that through a vision, a vision of a picnic blanket of sorts descending from heaven with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals, that he as a kosher Jew would have never eaten those unclean animals, and God told him to. Peter, rise, kill, eat. Peter, of course, saying, by no means, Lord. God forbid, Lord. No, I could never, Lord, eat an unclean animal. And God simply saying to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And he repeated that vision three times. And it tells us in the scripture that Peter began to ponder that, wonder about that, think, what is this about? Is really this all about food? Is it about the lunch that they're preparing for me downstairs? What is this? He's thinking about it. And as he is thinking about it, God ministers uh, in such a way that he brings some folks in that's going to cause it to all make sense. There are three men downstairs looking for you, Peter. Go with them without hesitation, he said to Peter. And so we'll read that verse. That is verse 19. You can look there. So while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Go with them. Notice, accompany them. That is, fellowship with them. Be with them. Don't walk you know, 20 feet away from them. And do so without hesitation, for I have sent them. And there they are. Peter hears, you know, we're looking for a guy named Simon. They, they call Peter. Is he here? Peter, I'm up here. He's up on the roof, you recall. He goes downstairs and he goes with these men. And they head off to the city of Caesarea, a Roman city, the capital of the Roman Empire there in Judea. And he goes off with these men and he comes to the home of this fella Cornelius. 
And he does something, I'm sure, with a little bit of hesitancy. He goes into the house of this Gentile. And when he goes into that home, we learned last week, verse 27 tells us that he found many persons. We could probably add, I think it's okay here, many Gentile persons. Looks around, they, they're going to dress differently. They're going to look differently. And he walks in and he immediately realizes, I have just done something I have never done before. And I never would have done before if it had not been for the Lord specifically telling me, don't call unclean what I call clean. And these men are coming. Make sure you go with them. And we learned last week, and, and we'll get into today's text, but we learned last week that Peter went in and he explained to them the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ came into this world to pay the penalty for man's sins. And that everyone that places their trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross can be saved. That key word there in the context of what we're studying is that word everyone. Jewish person, Gentile person, religious person, irreligious person, old person, young person, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Incredible hope in that message. Would you agree? Incredible hope. And so picking up, he explained the gospel to them. Verse 44 now is where we'll start for the day. It says, now while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God, magnifying God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have received the Holy Spirit? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Well, I guess they like this message. Peter there going in, it seems not speaking very long. Now, I don't know if Luke gave us a word for word uh, translation or, or dictation of what he said. But he hadn't addressed the group very long. He explained to them the gospel, and they responded. Again, I say, I, I guess they liked his message. And to be more specific, it seems the Holy Spirit liked Peter's message. And he confirmed that he did by falling on, coming down on, these Gentile, now, believers that are gathered there in the home of this centurion man. It says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now notice also in verse 30, 46 that Luke is going to go on to explain that these Gentiles on whom the Holy Spirit had just fallen, that these Gentiles were also speaking in other tongues and they were extolling the Lord. That's a word we don't use a lot, but again, it means to, they were magnifying the Lord, glorifying the Lord. They were praising the Lord. So they're speaking in these other tongues and they're praising the Lord. Now that may sound familiar. If you've been with us through our study, if you've read the book of Acts before, that's exactly what occurred back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the difference in those two circumstances, in Acts chapter 2, it was Jews that the Spirit fell upon, here now, in Acts chapter 10, it is what some would have called the dirty, despised Gentiles 
that the Spirit has fallen upon. The same Spirit was doing the same work in two very different groups of people, at least very different groups of people according to outward appearance. And according to our author, Luke, in verse 45, that amazed Peter and his companions. Verse 45 again says, And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Peter's companions, who again Peter describes as from being among the circumcision, Jewish Christians, they just couldn't wrap their heads around this. This was totally new, totally foreign, an idea they hadn't anticipated or expected that a Gentile person can get right with God. Now, Gentiles could get right with God ever since the, the beginning of the Old Testament, but they had to become a Jew in order to do so. And here now are these clear Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit is falling upon them, and they've gotten right with God just as the Jewish believers experienced. Again, that common understanding was that Gentiles had to become Jews first in order to be right with God. And yet, as it says in 1045, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And the reason he was poured out on them is that sometime during Peter's preaching, their hearts were converted. And that's how God works. You know, oftentimes we, we come into a setting where a person will preach the message and then at the end of that message, they're going to say, okay, now I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord. Who would like to now receive the Lord, raise their hand, come forward, these kinds of things. And we did something like that last week, actually. But the reality is a person receives the Lord in the quiet of their chair as God is working on them, convincing them. And when they stand, that's essentially just showing what the Lord has already done. Here is Peter as he is speaking, sometime during his sermon there, his little speech there that he has given, their hearts are converted. God works in them in such a way that they begin to look at life differently. They begin to approach their relationship with God differently. They come to the place of understanding. It's not about being good. It's not about religious duty and all these other things. It's about being right with God through his son, Jesus. Remember, Peter preached the gospel, and they were converted. There was an invisible transaction that took place in their heart. And God set his seal on these new believers. We call that the Holy Spirit. He's our down payment of heaven, so to speak. As Paul would say, he's our earnest. And God set his seal upon them, and he demonstrated that he did to Peter and the others as these folks began to speak in tongues and as they began to extol the name of God, praise the name of God. Now that is not to say, and this is important, because we can look at this experience that these Gentiles had, we can look at the experience that the Jews had there in the book of Pentecost, and we can say, well, the evidence that a person becomes a Christian is that they receive the gift of tongues. That happened in Acts 2, it happened in Acts 10, therefore it must happen in every instance. And so if you don't speak in the gift of tongues, you must not be a Christian. People teach that. The Bible doesn't necessarily teach that or doesn't teach that. And so this is not to say that all believers will be gifted with the gift of tongues. I think the clearest argument against that teaching is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And there, the Apostle Paul, he would say, Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret those tongues? Now you go back and you look at that entire passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you see the case that Paul is making is that every one of us has different gifts. Not all of us speak in tongues. Not all of us prophesy. Not all of us are going to be teachers. We are one body made up of different groups of people with different giftings. And so the implied answer to his question there is no. No, all don't speak in tongues. No, all don't prophesy. No, all don't interpret those tongues. But in this instance, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And the evidence of his being poured out was that in this instance, they did begin to speak in tongues. And so notice Peter's response, verse 47. He says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I appreciate this about Peter. Peter has, and he demonstrates somewhat of a go with the flow kind of attitude. I'm sure he had a plan, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go. But Peter here, he allows the Holy Spirit, if you will, to interrupt his sermon. He recognizes the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of his listeners, and he stops and he calls for his listeners to be baptized. Now, baptism, as we've said many times, it does not save anyone. And so it's not as if these guys are on their way to salvation. All they need now is to get baptized, and then they will be believers. They'll be saved. Baptism doesn't save a person. Baptism is merely, as you know, because we've talked about it a lot this summer, it's an outward sign of an inward work that God is doing in a person. And so the inward work is what is important here. But it's an outward sign that would allow these men, these women that are gathered here, to publicly identify themselves with Jesus Christ, which is quite a thing for them to do, particularly for this Roman centurion, because in that society, one of the deities was the Caesar, essentially, God here on earth, which they had to bow the knee to. One of the reasons why so many Christians were killed for their faith in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s of that first century is because they would not bow the knee to anyone but the Lord even at knife point, so to speak. They would not bow the knee to Caesar. And here is this Roman centurion ready to publicly identify himself with Jesus Christ. Baptism gave him the opportunity to do that. But not only that, something else is going to go down with this particular baptism that is significant. And so not only does it allow the Gentiles to publicly identify themselves with these Jewish believers as followers of Christ, but it also allows these Jewish believers to publicly identify themselves with these Gentiles as followers of Christ. That is to say, one body of believers united in a common faith. Now you hear that and you're like, yeah, sounds good. That's a revolutionary idea in that particular day. In that particular day. In some regards, it's a revolutionary idea in our day. It shouldn't be. One body, one common faith. Here's how the Apostle Paul would later teach on it. Ephesians chapter 4. I think Will read this today. He stole my stuff. 
it's, but I stole from Paul. He says, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These Gentiles, who two days earlier, Peter and the others might have struggled with despising, were now their brothers and sisters in the faith, and vice versa. What a beautiful thing. The Lord here, in Acts 11 and Acts 10, has done what he said he was going to do. Perhaps you recall in the Gospels, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking to the Jewish disciples. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. These that Peter is talking to were the very first of the all people that Jesus references in John 12. In John 12, he said this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That word people can be translated nations. It's referring to Jews and Gentiles. All people. And here these folks in Acts chapter 10 are the very first of the all people. The Lord was calling to himself people from every people, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. As it says in Revelation chapter 7, will be in the throne room of heaven. As he said he would do, he was using Peter as part of that process. You recall what he said in Matthew 16, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's no coincidence that Peter was preaching on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews, and here he is now preaching in Caesarea when the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. The Lord's accomplishing what he said he is accomplishing, and he's bringing the body of Christ together. And it's remarkable. Verse 48, finally it concludes. It says, and then they asked him to remain for some days. Doesn't tell us why, but almost certainly so that Peter could teach them and explain things to them and fellowship further with them and learn. They could learn from him. Now we go to chapter 11, and in some regard, happy feeling is gone. You ever been there? Great day, wonder, oh, that was so great. And then the problem comes. You get home and the pipe is broken while you were at church praising the Lord and now your basement's ruined. Happy feeling is gone. Here in chapter 11, we have, as I said in the beginning of our study, the ramifications of the events. And I'm going to read, make sure you're following along. This is going to be a lengthy reading. It's going to be 18 verses. Starting in chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, they criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began, and he explained it to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I responded, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this experience happened three times, and it was drawn away up again into heaven. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how we had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I, I very much appreciate this chapter. I think particularly for the day and age in which we live, where we're debating with one another, we're trying to convince other people and all these kinds of things, and we dig in our heels and we refuse to be corrected. We refuse to have somebody convince us with their argument. And we see some things here modeled by Peter. I think the most significant thing that we can take for ourselves is this, is that Peter models how to deal with those that don't agree with him. And the people, they model how to receive sort of the instructions or the, uh, the informing that Peter's going to bring them. The second thing we, we see here with the Apostle Peter is the, the way that he discerns the will of God. So important, isn't it? So often, particularly when we want to move in a, maybe an unexpected direction, we're trying to figure out what does God want from me? How is God leading? How is he directing? How will I know? What if I make a mistake? And so we see how Peter went through the process, and I'm going to try to draw our attention to it, to understand the will of the Lord and to walk in the will of the Lord. Let's go back and look at these verses. Starting in verse 1, we notice that word very quickly filtered out of Caesarea. It made its way all the way to Jerusalem. I think that's about 90 miles away. Makes its way all the way to Jerusalem. Did you hear what the Spirit did among the Gentiles? And people begin to talk and explain it there. So we read in verse 1, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. They heard that Peter had gone there, that he had preached, that he explained to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles came to believe and that the Holy Spirit had come upon those Gentiles when they did believe. Most unexpected news. Certainly not anything any of them would have predicted, having not read the rest of the book of Acts like you and I have. But it was wonderful news. The apostles, the brothers there in Jerusalem were excited about this and what God was doing. But not everyone was excited. Look at verse 2. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, they criticized him. 
So the apostles may have been excited. Other brothers there in the faith might have been excited, but there were some. Don't you love that? There were some that decided to be party poopers, that decided to criticize Peter. Now, the circumcision party refers to Christians of Jewish descent that were adamant about requiring all converts to Christianity to adopt the practices of Judaism. All right, that's a long definition, it makes more sense in front of me here, but it's Christians of Jewish descent that were adamant about requiring all converts to Christianity to adopt the practices of Judaism. Sadly, this sect of the early church, they were more interested in correcting what Peter did wrong, according to their perceptions, than hearing about the work that God had, been, had done and being blessed by that work. And you'll notice here in verses 2 and 3, 3 in particular, Peter comes in and they jump right at him. They're ready. They've been thinking about it. They've had strategy sessions the night before to develop their argument. They are ready. Verse 3, they say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? That's what they jump in with. No, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. How was your trip? There was no, hey, do you have a minute to talk about something that's kind of been, you know, concerning me? There was no, hey, would you mind if I ask just a couple of questions about, you know, something that I'm wrestling with? Rather, they jump right in and they accuse him of having done something wrong. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter shows up. The gavel slams down, and court is in session, and Peter is on trial. He arrives back in Jerusalem, and he has to defend himself for violating the norms of the Jewish custom and culture that even these Christian individuals, Jewish Christians, were practicing. Now take notice of Peter's reaction. You know, think about your reaction. You come walking in a room and somebody comes at you with a finger. What's your reaction? You're probably going to get defensive. You're probably going to get bothered. Take also notice of the reaction because it emphasizes once more just how significant this change is that the Lord instituted in Acts chapter 10. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. And so here, these members of the circumcision party, they're responding to that. They say to Peter, I can't believe you did this in so many words. And how would Peter respond? Look at verse 4. Peter responds gently, kindly, patiently. It says, Peter began and he explained it to them. These brothers of the uncircumcision party they didn't know. They didn't understand these things. Remember, two days earlier, I don't know, four days earlier or so, neither did Peter. Peter would have been standing right alongside of them probably, but God had worked in Peter's life, ministered to Peter, taught Peter, and now these other folks are exactly where Peter was a week ago. And very kindly, very gently, very patiently, Peter explains all that went down. That reveals a lot about Peter. Peter could have said, I don't have to explain myself to you. I'm the Apostle Peter. 
Peter could have responded, look, I'm an apostle. God speaks to me, and I do what he says, and your job is to sit back and to be quiet and to receive what God has spoken to me. Peter could have said, look, God speaks to me, and he told me to go into this men's home. And if you don't like it, you can find yourself another church to go to. Peter could have said any of those things and responded. And some of us sitting here, myself included, I'm standing here, would have said, right on, brother. You put them in their place because they're going to be a problem later on if you don't. But Peter, very gracious, very kind, very gentle. He doesn't flex his apostle muscles and put these people in their place. Instead, he begins a humble recitation of what had happened. It says he begins to explain it to them. Now, that's a, that's a specific word in the Greek language. One of the things, again, we've seen it many times about the Greek language, it's translated to English words, which can mean this or that to us. But in that particular language, this specific word means a careful, detailed, point-by-point explanation of something. Very patiently. Again, instead of saying, I did it because I'm an apostle, so why don't you just keep your mouth shut? He very carefully, very detailed, point by point, goes through what happened. He presents his case, so to speak. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and I saw a vision while in a trance of a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Peter's going to go on, and and we've read it now. This will be the third time we read this story here, because it happened to them. They explain what happened to them, and now Peter's explaining it again. But Peter Peter proceeds to tell this court that I've uh, kind of fancifully kind of put out there how he was led to go to the house of this Gentile man. And so again, how do we allow God to lead us? Well, notice the first thing that is going down here as Peter is being led, Peter points out, I was praying. He was seeking the will of the Lord. He was doing so in prayer. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And from there, he goes on and he begins to speak of the revelation that he received. Again, a revelation of a great sheet coming down from heaven and all of these different kinds of animals that he was not to call unclean. Perhaps to put that maybe in the context that most of us are going to deal with, really all of us are going to deal with, I suspect a lot of us haven't had revelations. But we do come to God's word. And so God spoke to Peter through this revelation. God speaks to you and I regularly through his word. And so here's Peter praying. Here's Peter looking at God's word that was spoken to him. And as he's praying, as he's considering God's word, the decision is going to become to go to the home of the, the decision's going to come to go to the home of these Gentile men. Again, not something that Peter comes up with on a whim. Peter's not sitting somewhere trying to think of church growth strategies. Well, you know, the Jews only make up 2% of the world population, and if we really want to be a world empire church, we're really going to have to expand into the Gentile community, so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's not how Peter came up with this decision. Peter is praying, he's considering God's word, and then God speaks to him and says to go. 
Notice again in verse 8, he talks about the back and forth. That means he's considering these things. He's wrestling. He said, by no means, Lord. The Lord said, don't say what is clean is unclean if I call it clean. And there's this back and forth that goes on there. And it's as he's praying, as he's wrestling with God's word. Look at verse 11. Peter's circumstances seem to confirm where he, has being, where he is being led, and specifically the timing of the circumstances. And so in verse 11 we read, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house that had been sent to me from Caesarea. It's pretty hard in that instance to discount the timing like that as coincidental. Think what would have happened if the man had come only an hour earlier. Is there a guy named Peter here that can come back to a Gentile home with us? Well, if this had happened an hour earlier, Peter's response would have been, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a Jew. I'm not allowed to. And if it had come two or three days later, you've probably been there, where Peter would have probably thought, you know, I, don't, I thought I had this feeling the other day, but I, don't know, I, was, I was just probably hungry. And my mind was playing tricks on me. But the timing of the circumstance is exactly as Peter is receiving that revelation and receiving that word from the Lord that said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And so a third way of sort of interpreting the will of the Lord is looking at the circumstances that you find yourself, the doors that are open, so to speak, or the doors that are closed. Now, certainly we have a note of caution. Circumstances in and of themselves do not always and should not always dictate what we do and do not do. And the order of events here is important because many Christians, they are big fans of circumstantial leading and they want to depend on circumstances without, notice the order, first praying, then looking into the, the word of God and so living our lives and making decisions solely based on interpreting our circumstances will likely lead you to getting some things right, but also making some significant mistakes as well. And the reason is, is because circumstances, as we all know, they can be read in a whole host of ways, right? Certainly they can. And it's only safe to trust circumstances after you have been praying, and after you have been studying the Word of God. And that's what Peter is doing here, and that's what he's recounting to his listeners. Peter says, look, I was praying, I was studying God's Word, and these guys show up and they ask for me. And then the Spirit spoke into my spirit, saying, go with them without hesitation. And you remember from Acts chapter 10 account, Peter was saying, I was pondering these things. I was thinking about these things when I heard the voice of the Lord speak into my heart and say, go with these men that are downstairs without hesitation. Now, Peter doesn't say this, but I think we could all put this in the margin of our Bibles. Peter essentially is saying, so what would you have done? What would you have done with all of those circumstances, praying, studying the word, God speaking to my heart, these men showing up asking for me, him speaking again to my heart saying, go with them. What would you have done, Peter says? Perhaps some of Peter's listeners appear a little skeptical. So notice what he adds in verse 12. And he says, and these six brothers 
They were all with me. They were there as well. It's as if he's saying, look, this is how everything went down. Right, guys? Tell them. This is how everything went down. I like James Montgomery Boyce's take on this. He said this. He said, the Old Testament required two or three witnesses for the establishment of any fact. Peter probably figured, you know, to be safe, I should bring at least three. But this was a very serious matter, so he may have said, and to be doubly safe, I had better bring six. And so he brought with him six friends. Peter knew something was going down here outside of the norm. And he brings with him a collection of brothers, six brothers that could confirm that the things Peter said were true and that the direction he had been proceeding was accurate. Peter prays. He considers God's word. He interprets his circumstances. And then he had God's word confirm in his life. And now, notice this, he references the way that God confirmed all of these things, how he was leading Peter with other believers as well. What Peter does here, what he demonstrated that he did here, was he appealed to the confirmation of other brothers, in our case, other brothers and sisters in the faith. And so if God leads you, if God's directing you in a particular direction, and none of your brothers or sisters in the faith sense that leading at all for your life, that should give you pause. It should cause you to slow down a bit. If none of your brothers or sisters that care for you want the best for you, feel that God is leading as, as well in that direction, it should cause you to slow down and say, all right, well, maybe I'm off here. Now, does that mean that God will never have you step out in faith in a way that others potentially aren't ready to step out? No. Peter got out of the boat, we know. I suspect the others are like, Peter, no. What are you doing? Get back in here. But it should cause you to ask the question, why is it that God is not confirming this in the lives of others that know and love and care for me? And if Peter here had been the only one who saw God leading in this particular way, he probably would have rightly thought, you know what, maybe I should give this thing a little more time. Maybe I should think this through a little bit more and make sure indeed that this is where God is going. And so Peter, saying in so many words, look, the seven of us, we move forward believing that this is how God was leading. After all of these things, we came to Caesarea and we entered this man's house which again, because he was a Gentile, was against Jewish custom. Peter continues in verse 13. He says, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He'll declare to you a message to which you will be saved, you and your whole household. Again, Peter doesn't say this, but he could have added. And so what would you have done in that instance? As you're standing there, and this guy is an eager faces in front of you. And the man says, God said you would come and tell us how we could get right with him and be saved. What would you have done, Peter could have said? Well, Peter knew what he would do. So he continues, and so I began to speak to them. We know, because we read it last week, I began to explain to them the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And then Peter says, and the Holy Spirit, verse 15, fell on them just as on us. 
Again, that us is a reference to Jewish Christians. And the experience of the Holy Spirit falling on them, we know Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, as the church was birthed, birthed, so to speak. And Peter says the same spirit that fell on them, or fell on us, fell on them. Peter preached, he didn't even actually get done his message, but Peter preached and the people responded and God's Holy Spirit confirmed that response. And Peter in his thinking says essentially, if, look, if God received these Gentiles into the church, who am I not to receive them? Who am I to deny them fellowship? And so Peter does fellowship with them. Now, what these members of the circumcision party, at least before this whole conversation began, what they would have liked to have seen is for Peter to have lined these Gentiles up, had them all circumcised, given them a new set of clothes, Jewish clothes, and then marched them down to some river somewhere where they could be baptized as Christians. Peter and his six companions, in, all, in light of all that the Lord had been doing, they weren't going to go there. And that's not what they were going to do. And it's not what they should have done either. Peter continues in verse 16. He says, I remembered what the word of the Lord had said, saying, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice what Peter does here. Again, a model for us in trying to discern the will of the Lord in circumstances. Peter now is interpreting the experience of the event that just went down once more through the filter of the word of God. He thinks back to what Jesus had said, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, and how the Lord spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll read the verse to you. No, I won't. I don't have it written. But the verse essentially says that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Peter remembers, I remember Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now Peter applies those words of Jesus and the, the events that they just witnessed, and he comes to the conclusion in verse 17, if then God gave the same spirit to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If God was reaching out to the Gentiles, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Which is one more example that Peter models for us. And that is seeking to walk where the Lord is leading. Peter says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And in saying that, what Peter recognizes is the importance of finding out where God is going and then heading in the same direction yourself. See what the Lord is doing and get involved with that particular work. Instead of what we oftentimes do is try to persuade God to go our direction Peter determines he's going to go God's direction. He asked that question, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Since God had worked in so many ways, so many definite, undeniable ways, to resist or oppose that on Peter's part would have obviously been to oppose the Lord. And that was something wisely Peter was unwilling to do. Now that's the end of the argument. It's over. Peter makes his case. Now's the time for the jury to deliberate. Remember, I compared it to a courtroom. 
Peter comes in, the gavel slams, they begin to question him. Now it's time for the jury to deliberate. Have they been persuaded? Verse 18 tells us the answer. Look, it says, now when they heard these things, the they being the members of the circumcision party, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, well then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I think maybe it's just how things have been lately. I think this is perhaps one of the most wonderful verses of the entire passage. There's such a breath of fresh air that just seems to blow over my heart as I consider this here. Because it shows a people that were won over by the argument of Peter. They didn't dig in their heels. They didn't stake their position regardless of the evidence. They actually listened to Peter, even if they didn't initially come at him, you know, in the best possible way. They actually listened to Peter and allowed the evidence to sway their thinking. That seems so rare to me in the days in which we live. Maybe it's just my own hard heart. I don't know about you. You, you watch certain news programs. Oh, I don't like this news. Let me go find the one I do like. And then you watch it. You're like, ah, yes. Those are the smart people because they agree with me. Sometimes I force myself to watch other stations, listen to other things, just so I can hear what other people are thinking, formulate thoughts for myself. Some of you probably think I'm a bad person for doing that. I think you're a bad person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Humbly, these people, they allow their prejudices, they allow their traditions, they allow their opinions to be overcome by God's word and God's work. Notice what it says in verse 18. Luke points this out to us, that they fell silent. Your version might say they held their peace. They don't continue to argue. They don't continue to defend an indefensible position. They don't storm off, ignoring the facts and go start a new church somewhere. Rather, they allowed themselves to be persuaded. And they really were persuaded. Look at verse 18. Now, and before you do, remember, when this all began, they came in grumbling. Verse 3, they came in accusing Peter. No niceties, no, how are you? How was your trip? Is everything well? Can I ask you a question? They came right in, pointing their finger and saying, you did what? And now here it says they fell silent and they glorified the Lord. They glorified the Lord for what he had done through Peter among these Gentiles. They had been persuaded. The scripture says, they say, then to the Gentiles, God has also granted repentance. Their hearts, and this is so significant, I think, their hearts were soft enough to allow God to work in those hearts. In hindsight, they should have never challenged Peter on this interaction. But again, they had not learned the lessons that Peter had learned. You may encounter some folks that aren't at the same level of spiritual maturity that you are. You may encounter some folks that have not learned things that you have already learned. Use the example of Peter. Be kind, be patient, be merciful, be respectful to those individuals. But these guys, their heart was soft. And Peter gently 
speaks into their life. And as they begin to discover these things, they have a choice to make. Will they move past their preconceptions, their prejudices, or would they remain in them despite the evidence? And it's a very important decision because refusal to move forward and change would be sin. And it would only serve to harden their hearts to God's future leading and future direction in their walks with him. They had soft hearts, and God did a wonderful work within them. It's a powerful passage, I think. It demonstrates that the hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are soft enough to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And their conclusion again is, well then, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance. Again, the most liberating message of Scripture is this, that everyone that calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Good people, bad people. Old people, young people. Those that you think, man, he really needs it. And those that you think, you know, they might be able to get into heaven. They are a pretty good person. Everyone needs salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. And again, I said this last week, you and I, we have the words, we've been entrusted with the words of eternal life. And we can go forward in confidence to anyone that we come in contact with and lay that out there for them, that they can be forgiven. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that great? What a confidence we have to do what it is that we are doing, whether it's preaching or whether it's just a simple conversation we're having with others. So be encouraged by that. Use the model of Peter here to discern the will of God, to respond to people that disagree, apply that to your life. I think you'll be a much happier person. I really do. All of us will if we do those things. Let's pray together. Father, so often when we think of Peter, we think of mistakes that he made. We think of him speaking too quickly. We, we think of him with his foot in his mouth. And yet here we have this passage of this wise, mature man of God gently leading and guiding others to the place of understanding. Lord, we look at these folks being able to be convinced. Father, we want to have soft hearts like these two groups of people. We want to be able to hear from you and respond accordingly. We want to walk in your ways with joy, being led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to shine bright in a dark world where so few seem to do these things. So fill us, Lord, with your spirit, that we might walk in your ways and bring glory to your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.